0: Why don't you grab your Bibles and go to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning, Ephesians chapter 6, if you don't have a Bible, I know there's one in front of you in the seat uh, pocket underneath there, grab one of those, if you don't own a Bible, take that home as our gift to you, but go to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be in just a couple verses, verses 10 to 12 in Ephesians chapter 6, and and we're, we're in the last sermon in this series that we've called Supernatural. Where we're looking at what does it look like for us as followers of Christ? What's it look like in this world? How do we have our eyes open to the reality that this isn't all there is? That there is something supernatural about the world that God created. And and there's been an intentionality about the order of the series. Now, there's some people I've been talking to, man, they're looking forward to like, I can't wait till we get to number three, man. Let's talk warfare. Let's get into this. Let's talk about demons. Let's make it happen, right? And then we're kind of eager to go, what is this all about? But there's an intentionality in the order of what we've done. We want to talk, first of all, about the power of God the power of God that's that's available to you, that's in you as a Christ follower. That's where we need to begin because if you jump right to number three without remembering number one, then you're lost. And the second sermon, the spiritual gifts, supernatural gifting. Again, it's God's spirit in you. So as we come to this third sermon series, we're coming with an understanding without which having that understanding, we can either be driven into an infatuation with warfare, spiritual warfare, or with darkness, or we can be so scared that we avoid it at all costs, but instead we come with an understanding that there's a power, not our power, but the power of the cross, the power of God, the same power it says in Ephesians that raised Christ from the dead, available to us in us. And so as we read verses 10 and 12, let's keep that in mind, listen to what it says. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord, Now, if you know Paul's life history, if you know the, the one who's writing this letter to the uh, uh, church in Ephesus, you know his history that what he just said there, hey, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It can seem weird coming from, from Paul. Like, well, Paul, like, like, we know your testimony. You, you wrestled a lot against flesh and blood. You, you were beaten many times. You were whipped and flogged and stoned. You you were thrown into a real life prison, not a spiritual prison, but Paul, you were thrown into a real prison. You, you were criticized by people a lot. Not not just you're having invasive spiritual thoughts, but like, no, like people came up and opposed Paul and criticized him and his ministry. Paul talks about being abandoned by friends, like that's just flesh and blood friends that that would abandon him. So so what's Paul saying? Because I don't know about you when I hear, oh, don't worry, you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I'm like, really? Because I could feel it. Financial struggles feel very real. Relationship struggles are flesh and blood. What we see going on in our world as we see governments and world leaders, it seems very flesh and blood, Paul. But you look at what Scripture's actually saying. What is he saying here? He's saying behind that world of flesh and blood is a presence, a powerful and active supernatural world going on. He says, cosmic powers spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He's saying, listen, listen, in oppressive governments, in, in broken relationships, in, in, in our own struggles and, and fear and, and depression, and in battles with illness and, and temptation, there is this, this larger power at work. There is a supernatural battle. Now, even as I say that, I, I can imagine there's some in this room right here who be like, amen, preach it, Kai. And there's others who are like, mm, yeah, but careful, Kai. <laughs> in like fact, C.S. Lewis, in his book, Screwtape Letters, it's a, it's a letter. I mean, it's a book that you got to read. It's so good. It's, it's this fictional book where he's, he's bringing up so, so many spiritual realities, and it's a book about a senior demon writing to a junior demon, telling the junior demon how to mess up Christians. But in his book, he talks about this whole idea of, of angels and demons, and he said there, there are two equally damaging, equally wrong errors we can fall into. We've talked about it already in this series. We can have the one error where on one side we disbelieve in all of it. We just dis- discount it all. This whole idea of demons and angels, yeah, yeah, no, maybe not. Or, or we fall into the other danger, the other error over here, where we just focus on it with this unhealthy interest in it. He's saying when, when we talk about spiritual warfare, it's, 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 it's one of these topics that, that makes us a bit nervous, so, so lots of Christians just ignore it. I, mean, I don't really know a lot about that, so maybe we shouldn't talk about it very much. I, I, I kind of feel like I'm not sure how it's happening. I don't know how to act with it. And, and then you have other people on the other end of the spectrum like just so fixated on it, so obsessively. Those are the, kind of the two extremes of the errors we can get where we ignore it or we fixate on it, and the Bible does neither of those. So, so let's get a biblical understanding, a biblical viewpoint of what is this supernatural warfare. What does God's word actually say? Now you have to understand something that Paul's writing to his church in Ephesus, and, and and this isn't his first time. Like the church has now been established, but the first time Paul rolled into Ephesus, something amazing happened. It was in Acts 19. You can read about it. I think it's one of the coolest stories in Scripture because it, it, I've got a bit of a warped mind. You'll see why. There, there is this deliverance ministry team called the Seven Sons of Skeva, and they're kind of working in Ephesus because they've seen Paul do some amazing things in Ephesus, and they're like, hey, we want some of that too. And so this this whole deliverance ministry team, the Seven Sons of Skeva, I. I Kind of picture them, they would have their own website. They'd have YouTube videos, right? Talking about, here's how we cast out demons. And they're rolling through Ephesus. And they run into this demonized guy in Acts 19. And they use their spiritual warfare techniques that they have. And they say, I command you to come out. And they say this, by the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. In Acts 19, 15, the the demon actually speaks back to them and says, yeah, yeah, Jesus I know. And Paul, I've heard of him. Now, how cool is that, first of all, right? Imagine doing so many amazing things for the Lord. You're, you're stepping into so many dark places that demons know who you are, right? Yeah, we've heard of that guy. We know who that guy is. says, Jesus I know. Paul, I've heard of him. They says, but who are you? And then it says this. It says that the demonized guy jumps these seven sons of Sceva, beat them so bad, it says they ran away naked and wounded. Listen, if you end a fight naked, you are definitely wounded, right? On multiple layers, right? So let's not make the air of, of completely blowing off the reality of the supernatural. Let's not forget that we are, listen, listen, in reality, we are in a supernatural warfare. We don't primarily wrestle against flesh and blood. There's a spiritual battle going on all around us. And, and here's why I would say that with utmost confidence because of this. If, if you're new to Harvest, here, here's something we would say pretty boldly. We're a church that's all about Jesus, we believe who he is. We believe what he says about himself and a big part of Jesus' ministry while he was on earth dealt with the supernatural. His birth announced by angels. He, he was tempted in the wilderness by the devil. He was then attended to by angels after the temptation. He, he rebuked and cast out demons in his ministry. He, he, he says he could have called down legions of angels to rescue himself from the cross. Two angels at his tomb after he resurrected. Angels there, when Jesus ascends into heaven, to to ignore or to disbelieve the supernatural world, listen, is to ignore or disbelieve Jesus. But here's the danger. I think we could give a a mental assent, no, 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 I I do believe in the supernatural. I do believe what the the word says about the supernatural, but but then we don't think about it very much. Let let me show you a practical way how this plays out. Imagine any sin you can engage in. Imagine a sin you struggle with, and it's a sin that has this, this outward action to it, whether, whether it be anger, or lust, or gossip. And, and, and say you're, in, you're, you're talking with somebody, maybe you're in the middle of a crude joke, and you're, you're right in the middle of it, and somebody who you respect, somebody who, who has influence in your life, and you respect them in the church, and they walk up, what happens? I mean, how often do you go, yeah, I'm probably not going to keep going on with this joke, Right? Why would we change our conversation? Why would we do that? I I mean, think about it. In light of the fact that the Holy Spirit is there in that moment, why would the person walking up change us? Because I think for every one of us, the spiritual is far less real than the physical to us. If we're really a church who says we're all about Jesus, if we really are a church that says, no, we're centered on the word. We believe in the power and the authority of scripture. Listen, this verse here in verse 12 could not be any clearer. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are, listen, involved in a supernatural battle all the time. This is not just something we talk about as a theology. I mean, you can feel, I, I know you can feel it. Listen, there's a, a spiritual battle that's touching each one of our lives. It's, it's in our marriages, it's in our families, it's in our relationships. We, we feel the battle in our church, in our work, in our neighborhoods, in, in, in our towns, in, in our entire country, in the world. You, you can feel the, the battle that's going on because there's no place that's not touched by the adversary where he does not want to have power and influence over us. The battle's being waged every day in how we spend our time, how we use our money, what we look at on our phones, right? That that mindless scrolling, it's a battle. How we raise our kids, the the tone of voice we use with our spouse, how, how we act at school, how we act at our workplace, what we do when we think nobody else is watching, every single aspect of our lives in every moment. Listen, Satan is so real and he wants to wreak havoc in your marriage. He wants to wreck your kids. He wants to destroy friendships and relationships in this church. He wants to steal your purity and your righteousness. He wants to, to compromise your integrity at all costs. He wants to prevent us from spreading the good news of the gospel. In fact, look how Satan's described in these verses. Look at verse Verse 11. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil's a schemer. He lies. He deceives. In fact, I would say this. The devil's whole game is this. He, he fell. He, he sinned first, right? And, and, and he wants us to do the exact same thing he did. Isaiah 14 says that Satan was this created angel. But there was this point where he said, I don't want to just be an angel. I want to be God. I want to be worshiped like God is. And, and, and here's what he said in Isaiah 14. He says, I will ascend to heaven. I will set my throne on high. I will make myself like the most high. Now, now, now notice in that statement how many I wills there were, Right? Satan wanted to be in charge. He's like, "I'm going to do this. It's about me, I will, I will, I will." And his whole scheme is to convince you and me to take that very same path where we would say, "My will be done, not God's will." And you track through Scripture, you see his schemes, his lies, casting doubt on the goodness of God. He twists scriptures. He tempts Christians. He, he takes unresolved anger and says, let me lead that to bitterness for you. He stops the advancement of the gospel any way he can. He stirs up disagreements. He tempts us to, to question the love of God, the integrity of God, we question God's, God's care for us, question our identity in him. He, he blinds the minds of those who need to hear the gospel. He, he draws us into addictions. He, he puffs up leaders with pride so they fall. Jesus calls him straight up the father of lies. He's a schemer. He's the one behind those doubts and confusion. He's the one behind the temptation and the fear and the anxiety. But not just a schemer. Look what else. Look at verse 12. It says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. We I mean, see here that, that Satan is described as a Ruler. Now, Paul's not saying that that Caesar's not at work. See, in Paul's day, Caesar was the one who was over uh, in charge of everything happening in his world, And, and he's not saying that Caesar wasn't doing these horrific things as an awful leader, but he's saying there's another power at work even behind Caesar. Behind that, there's this supernatural power at work trying to steer things. Saying Satan has a power, Satan has a rule. When Satan tempted Jesus and he said, hey, tell you what, I'll give you all the nations, all the kingdoms are yours. Jesus didn't say, it's not yours to give. That, That wasn't how Jesus combated. Why, why? Because Satan does have a certain rule, a certain authority, a dominating influence. He has an influence on our governments, on our media, on our education, on our entertainment, on our finances. And he's going to press into our world, our culture, our lives, trying to gain influence so that we play by his rules in these areas. That's why I'm so glad, so so thankful for Christians who are leading in politics, Christians who are, who are stepping into media, into entertainment, into finance and education. Why? Why? Because, because they can be in there. They can be pressing against that rule and authority to, to bring a subversive message of the gospel and the kingdom and the revolutionary way the gospel can turn this world upside down. Now, here's the thing. You don't need to be religious to be able to look at our world and say, man, something's going on. Something more is going on. I mean, do you ever stop and wonder and ask the question, I mean, how could things be as evil as they are? And how come people are so okay with it? I mean, how does something like the Holocaust happen? How is it that racism continues, like, like even amongst Christians? How is it that pornography is so widespread now? and and so abhorrent. I mean, I've I've talked to guys who were caught in pornography and and where it took them to deep, dark places beyond, further than they ever could have imagined they would get to. Why is that? Why would in our culture right now, why would there be these sexualized drag shows for kids and people like, man, this is good. And if you oppose it, you're on the wrong side of this. You're the crazy one here. Why so much confusion lately in our world over identity? I'm telling you, Satan is pouring gas on the fire of sin and doubt and fear. His goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. I was listening to a lecture by Tim Keller and he was talking about sin and and he was laying out all these secular psychologists and sociologists who have come to the end of their theories about evil. They're like, man, we can't explain it we tried to explain it with, with, with behaviorism. We've tried to explain it with cultural influences. We've tried to explain it with mental health. And he quotes this, this secular psychologist from Columbia University, not a religious dude at all, as far from religious as you can be. And here's what this professor from Columbia said. He says, the evil that was always there is still there, but we got rid of the idea of sin and sinners. We got rid of the idea of original sin. We got rid of the idea of the devil. We got rid of the idea of all transcendent aspects. And now we're absolutely astounded by the fact that there is clearly something beyond what we can manage and control here. But we have no way of dealing with it now. There is a deceiver. We see it in scripture, we see it in our culture. We see in our own lives sin that overwhelms us, temptation that takes us further than we ever imagined, doubts and fears that we just can't seem to shake. Listen again, we are all in a spiritual battle all the time. When you think spiritual warfare or supernatural battle, don't just think, oh yeah, 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 I've heard the crazy stories. Oh yeah, I've I've heard the preachers talk about the nutty things that happen. The reality is the battle is happening right now. And so one error we make is we can live like we don't believe in the supernatural. But the Bible doesn't say, ignore the devil and he will flee from you, all right? It says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. If we just try to avoid the battle, if we just keep living as though, no, 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 everything I see, that's all there is, we're not going to be, as verse 10 says, we're not going to be able to stand strong. We're not going to be able to stand, stand firm, as it says in verse 13. Now, in saying all of that, in dealing with that, that first error, there's another error we can take where, where we fixate on the demonic and, and, and we can engage unbiblically in it. Because listen, there are, there are enough superstitious, nuttiness, total false teachings that are, that are thriving in Christianity today under this pretense of this is spiritual warfare uh, David Pallison, a, a Christian counselor, he wrote a great book on, on counseling and spiritual warfare. And he was talking about a woman who, who in, in his, one of his sessions, was telling him that, that she cast the demons out of her toaster because it wasn't working this morning. Right? So I'm like, I did that with my Keurig this morning too, right? Like, I, we, we could take it to a, a weird place, and, 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 but here's where it got really hard. Here's where that destructive mindset began to mess up this woman. She said that her and her husband would get into arguments, and, and, and when it started to get heated, what they would do is they would start binding and rebuking demons in each other. I rebuke the demon of anger in you. and cast out. I rebuke the demon of pride in you. I rebuke the demon of self-righteousness. And they're just claiming the name of Jesus over all these demons in each other. And you can imagine, picture you and your spouse. How's that play out, right? <laughs> the fight's escalated. I would say this, they abuse the name of Christ in their hostility, in their fear, in their confusion. I mean, the spiritual warfare going on in that couple's life was that Satan was loving the wreckage of that situation. Because look at how Paul says, here's how to engage in the supernatural battle. Look at verse 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, I don't have time this morning to unpack these verses that talk about the armor of God. If you go on our website, it was just a few years ago, we preached through a sermon series called The Battle. Over seven sermons unpacked these verses of the armor. I mean, you can go on our website, find that. Maybe we'll put in the e-news this week. But here's what you see in the, the armor that he calls us to take up. Paul is laying out our weapons of warfare in this battle. And, and he first, he gives us this, this list of these defensive weapons. He's put on the, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the, of the spread of the gospel, have the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. Then he gives these offensive tools that were to use. Two of them, he says, have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and, and have prayer. But when you look through that list, it's actually not that weird. These, these weapons seem pretty normal. Now, I don't want to offend anybody here, but Paul does not say to do this, at least all these rulers, you need to engage with the territorial demons. You gotta bind the demon of Huntsville if you want to reach Huntsville. And we gotta we gotta figure out what their names are and call them by name and, and and call them out. And listen, 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 once in scripture, Jesus did ask a demon what his name was. The demon's name was Legion. And people have created whole game plans for dealing with the supernatural based on that one event. There are people with, with, with detailed descriptions for dealing with the demonic. And I would say this, as you're studying this more, as you're listening more, as you're trying to figure this out more, 1 John 4, 1 says this, test every spirit to see if it's from God or not. So I would encourage you, test the spirit, test, test the person speaking, test me. What I say here, don't just take what Kai says, but go, man, I want to I follow up. I want to be in God's word and see, what is he talking about? Is this really what this is about? I want to be in prayer and and taking this and testing. It means, like, is it valid? Is this from the Lord? And I want to take this, everything that's said, I want to put it up against Scripture. Every preacher you hear. What does the Word actually say about this? Listen, I'm enough of a charismatic that I can make my Baptist friends uncomfortable. But I have also have charismatic friends who would say, dude, you don't get the spiritual warfare. You're not doing it properly. You don't don't really understand it. We can't just preach the gospel to this. We gotta go go to war. We we gotta follow these four steps if this is really gonna happen. And then I come back to Ephesians. I'm like, okay, what kind of prayers does Paul pray throughout this whole book of Ephesians? Well, Ephesians 1, 15 to 23, he lays out, my prayers of the gospel will take deeper root into the hearts of people that we would know the hope that he's called us to, that we'd know the the riches of his glorious inheritance in us, that that we would know the immeasurable power towards those who believe the gospel. That's Paul's prayer. Ephesians 3, he lays out another prayer, and he, he prays again that we would know the gospel, we would know the breadth and the height and the depth of the love of Jesus. And now here in this text we're looking at, specifically dealing with the demonic, look at the prayer he says we should be praying. Verse 18. He praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Paul says in the middle of all this demonic influence and warfare, he says, pray the gospel goes forward. Grab a hold of the armor. What's this armor? The armor is grab a hold of the truth of the gospel. Let, let that guard your whole life from head to toe, wrap it around your whole self. What does the gospel say? Even in Mark chapter 3 or Luke chapter 11, there's this place where Jesus talks about binding the strong man. It's, uh, it's where, where we get this idea of what, what does it mean to bind Satan or bind demons. It's, it's a verse most people use for that. And, and Jesus talks about there's, if a strong man has a house and this strong person is guarding the house, you have to have a stronger man come and bind him up if you want to loot the house. In fact, in Luke 11, he goes further than that. He says, in fact, you could kick the strong man out, but then what if he brings seven more dudes with him? And, and man, you're in an area in a, in a whole lot of hurt, even more than the first hurt. He says, to deal with this, you know what he says? He says, you need a stronger man to deal with this man. The point Jesus is making is pretty clear. If, if you want the devil out of your life, if you want that strong man out of your life, you have to have an active relationship with someone who's much stronger, who can do this binding, and that, that's not you and me, that's Jesus. So as we go to war with the demonic, it's not in, in us, we're not trusting in me. No, 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 it's trusting in, it's making much of Jesus. It's, it's not even about a focus on the demonic. It's, it's letting Jesus be big. It's letting Jesus be in control. It, it's about the gospel speaking to every part of who you are. That's the armor he describes. All different ways to describe, here's how you protect yourself. The good news that Jesus gave his life to take care of your sin that Jesus gave you His righteousness as a gift of grace. So, so listen. If you want to keep Satan out of your marriage, it's not about. That's, what I found. <laughs> That's just serious, not demonic. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to keep Satan out of your marriage, it's it's not about anointing your wedding rings with oil and binding demons and past generations of your spouse. It's about grounding your marriage in the gospel. If, if you want to keep those, those invasive thoughts that, that, that Satan keeps attacking your mind with, the, the doubt and the identity, learn to be deeply rooted in the gospel. To do battle, what's Paul say in verse 10? He says, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. His might in the Lord. That's our strength. I I picture Gideon. Remember the story of Gideon where he goes to battle, only 300 of them against thousands of the enemy. And what does God say? Here's the plan. Here's what I want you to do. Get some clay pots, put some torches in them, get some horns. And when I tell you, smash the pots, light the torches, blow the horns. Now, 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 no one here would go, that's a sweet military strategy we got to do that. That's how we got to battle. No, no, no. What's he talking about? It's this picture where God's saying, I've got this. This is not about you, Gideon. You, You just light torches so you can see me at work. You can see the battle I win. It's in the Lord. And here, Paul's saying, put your hope there in the Lord. Talking about Jesus. Be strong about the reality of Jesus in your life, in the truth of the gospel. I've heard people say you need to name and claim every sin of your past because that's how demons get a hold of you. And listen, I believe that confession and repentance are, are part of the gospel. But if you've already brought a sin to the cross, don't let someone claim you need to dig that sin back up again. Like, like some demon's got a hold of you in some sin you've already taken to the cross. Satan is called the accuser. You know that, right? He wants you to keep remembering that stuff the stuff that you've already repented of, the stuff that you're already set free from. You don't need to cast a demon out of a past repented sin. You need to trust again in the power of the gospel, of God's love and absolute forgiveness over all those sins. Paul says here, we're we're battling over the powers of this present darkness. I mean, how do you battle darkness? Darkness. You walk into your house, and it's pitch black, and you walk in, and you start punching the darkness. we got to close the doors. I think the darkness is seeping in underneath the doors, right? What do you do? You turn on the light. The presence of light casts out all darkness. The presence of the gospel. I was even thinking about, about like, what's the most broken, sinful, messed up church we can think of in Scripture? and It, it would probably be the Corinthian church, right? 1 Corinthians, just the story of a jacked-up church with so much sins that they were fighting all the time. And what does Paul do? He doesn't rebuke a demon of division. What he do? He calls them to gospel love for each other. Based on the love you've received from Christ, show that same love to each other. That's what he calls them to. When it was revealed in the church that some guy was, was in a sexual relationship with his mom, or maybe it was his stepmom, it's not sure. Either of those are horrific, right? He doesn't say we need to cast out a demon of incest. He calls the church, deal with the sin. Encourage the guy to repent. If there's sin in my family, I'm not casting demons out of my kids. Some days I think it might be my only hope. (laughs) What do I do? I turn on the light and I try to teach them the gospel. This is what the gospel is. Listen, if we're going to go to war against the supernatural, if we're going to go to war against the spirit of darkness, let Jesus be strong in your life. Let him be king. Let let his truth rule your life. And I'm telling you, the demonic can't touch you. There's my heart in this sermon. It's this, that we would keep focused on the right things, that we would keep leaning into seeing and savoring and worshiping Jesus as our Lord, our Savior, our hope, and our salvation. We can go down so many rabbit holes of seven ways to deal with demons, four types of prayers you need to pray, three statements you need to claim. And and listen, all of those things, when when you see them, most of them have more to do, more in common with, with witchcraft and occultic practices. You need to follow these incantations if you want this to work. I'm telling you, we lose the power. Scripture says, greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. The gospel power in you So so that even when those demonic thoughts arise, that we could see them for what they are. These are are demonic lies from hell. These are not ideas from God. I don't want to believe that. I want to proclaim the truth all over those lies. That's why I would say, know the promises of Scripture. Understand where the gospel applies to each area of your life. Memorize the promises. Rehearse them. Let them speak loudly over your life. What does Paul say? Be strong in Jesus and the power of his might. Now in saying all that, Remember we talked about it as the first error. Don't hear me say all that and begin to blow off the, the, the demonic and the power and the reality of what the demonic is. Satan's goal is to do as much damage as he can while staying as hidden as he can. If we don't realize the influence and the power and the pre- prevalence of the demonic, we're not going to stand strong or we'll try to stand strong in our own might. I mean, we need to see the battle of the enemy in our marriages, in our families, in our church, in our community. And, and when, when you see the enemy at work in, in your family, then you get on your knees in prayer. When you see the enemy at work in, in your church, you get on your knees in prayer. Now, now what about what about demon possession, though? What, what do we do there? That, that phrase, demon possessed, it's, it's actually not a... a truly accurate biblical phrase, Um, the the, the word actually used in scripture is demonized. People are demonized. And and so the question you might ask is, well, well, can can an unbeliever be fully demonized, like like under control of a demon? I would say definitely that can happen, for sure. I've seen it. Not not a lot. What's the answer to that? What's the answer to somebody who is fully demonized? Now You can probably guess what I'm going to say. The answer is, all right, it's the gospel. It doesn't have to be dramatic. It it doesn't have to be complicated. It does have to be done in faith. It does have to be done trusting that God's at work on your behalf. And so so what do you do? What do you do if you encounter somebody who is demonized to that place? Begin to pray. You pray, God, protect them. God, would you open their eyes? God, would you save them? And you pray truth and you pray it boldly and you pray it out loud. I would say you pray it out loud for this reason. not because you're talking to the demon, you're, you're talking to, to, to the stronger man, you're talking to the one who is victorious, but you, you pray it out loud so the person you're praying for knows what you're praying so they can understand as much as possible of what's going on. You, you pray out loud so that if anybody else is around and watching that whatever happens, God gets the glory for what happens. You pray out loud so that even the demon knows exactly what's coming and scripture says they shudder at the thought of God. Not because of your prayers, because of God's presence because of your resistance and if necessary by the power of Christ to to say to the spirit leave in the name of Jesus and his authority Now, can can the demonic affect Christians though can a Christian be let's use the the phrase we use a lot demonized can a Christian be fully can the Christian be demon possessed I do believe Christians can be affected by demons for sure I don't believe that scripture would say you could be inhabited by a demon. Jesus has taken residence in your life. You are filled, we just talked about this in the earlier sermons, you're filled with the spirit. You're sealed for eternity. Your heart is Christ's home. He's not gonna share his home with darkness. But you can be demonized from the outside in. I mean, sometimes it's just straight up oppression. And, and maybe you've experienced that. I have. I actually I, um, it was early on in the planting of our church, and I don't say this to be dramatic, I just say because I believe that we are battling not just flesh and blood, but there's a spiritual battle. As I was in bed at night, it was about the first year our church had been planted, it was difficult, I mean, stuff was happening, lives are being changed, but it was hard, and, and um, I woke up with this um, unreal feeling of my throat being closed. And not just like I can't breathe, but like actually that physical weight on my body, on my, and, and here's, I just, I couldn't, I tried to scream, nothing came out. And all I can think in my mind is Jesus. Lord Jesus, would you help? It's my only hope. And I would say, if, if you've experienced, and you're like, man, in my home right now, there's a, there's a darkness in my home, pray. In my, in my child, there's just something, about, man, preach the gospel and Pray. Get others to pray. Sometimes it's like, yeah, my prayers, like, get others then. Get more people. Like, like, we take this seriously that there is a spiritual warfare. So we call out to God, we pray. I'd say this too, as Christians, you, you can also be demonized another way where, where Satan grabs a hold of, gets a foothold, get, gets a, a bit of a, a control over a, a part of your life. I'm not saying your whole life, but a part of your life that's not been surrendered to Jesus. Those parts of your life that are not under the gospel. Maybe it's a relationship you have. Maybe it's your anger. Maybe it's your love of money. Or maybe it's lust or gossip or or apathy. Maybe it's fear of man. Maybe it's anxiety. And Satan will grab a hold of those things that haven't yet been rooted in the gospel. And he's going to use them to destroy you. But James 4, 7 says this, resist the devil. He'll flee from you. I mean, that's the victory promised to you in Christ. That, that, that's the presence of God in you. That, that, that Satan has no chance. I love how 1 John 5.18 says that Satan can't harm you. So you stand firm in the gospel, in the power of Christ. So you, you let the gospel saturate every area of your life. That, that where you're still embracing lies or sin. Man, repent and cut ties with Satan. Don't partner with him anymore. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says that that don't harbor sin and give space for the devil. Don't let him come into that area, that, that gap you have between who you are and the truth of the gospel. Satan's like, I'm getting in there. And, and, and like flies and like rats are attracted to garbage, the demonic is drawn into sin. So, so the, as I've said this before, there are no such things as private sins in your life. If you're wrestling with a private sin in your family, your family is being impacted by it because it's a spiritual battle. Don't harbor the sin. Don't give space for that, but, but instead choose to believe the truth about who you are in Christ. Walk in obedience. Repent early and often. Stay connected with other believers. I, mean, I believe if, if our eyes were truly open to the supernatural, like if, if God just like right now said, I want to give you this gift. I want you to see what's really happening. I mean, I think we could drop to our knees like right now. I really do believe that. It's not a game. We're in a battle. The enemy is bent on destroying your life. In fact, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, that that today would be the day you would say, I want Christ's life. I want to be filled with His Spirit. I want my sins dealt with, all my past forgiven, my future secured. I want to surrender every part of me to His love and grace and holiness and truth. And you win the battle. you're a follower of Jesus, I pray that that our eyes will be open to see the battle. Why? Why? So that we get off our feet, we would lean into this as though eternity was at stake because it is. Because here's the deal. If you're sitting on the sidelines, I guarantee you, Satan is not. If, If in your marriage, if your spouse is dying for words of love and grace and you're inactive with your speech, Satan is not inactive. He's speaking often and loudly. Your kids right now are being discipled by this present darkness, like, like immersed in it. If, if you aren't speaking Jesus and living Jesus, Satan is actively speaking right now. Those people you work with are at war with cosmic powers. I mean, are, are you in the battle for them? As I say that, that God would open our eyes to that, I also pray that that he would open our eyes to see the protection and providential care of God over your life. That, That we would see, that we would trust that, God, you are perfectly in control over this very moment. Listen, listen, over the battle you might be in right now. Your eyes be open to be able to see this. You're never outside of his care. Yes, there is a supernatural battle, but listen, the ultimate victory, it's already been declared won in Jesus. The war is won. So, so how do we deal with the demonic going forward? How do we, do, how do we deal with the, the demonic lies of our age? We speak Jesus. How do you deal with the, the demonic influence in, in our world, in our lives? We speak Jesus. How do you deal with the demonic in your family? Listen, listen, loudly and clearly we speak Jesus. As we're gonna end off here with a testimony that I think speaks so truthfully, so clearly to what we've just talked about. So turn your attention to the screens.